0: How does one navigate that like doubt and deconstruction.
1: I just wanted to know if you guys have ever deconstructed.
0: Where there is anger, there is hope.
2: Welcome to the Convergence podcast. The Convergence is a space designed for university, college students, and young adults. It's a place to explore and deepen their faith. It's a space to think, question, doubt, and hopefully, ultimately, to worship. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to the Convergence Podcast. This conversation is from our second Convergent Conversations on the topic of deconstruction. I'm joined in conversation with Pastor Jessica DeSabatino, who pastors at Journey Church and is also the co-host of the great podcast Down to Earth. Oh, and Jessica is also my sister in law. At Convergent Conversations, we basically have an open mic policy where anyone, either in the room or on Zoom, can engage in the conversation as we go through the night. So, without further ado, here is our conversation on deconstruction. Tonight, I'm super thrilled to introduce Jessica de Sabatino, Pastor Jessica de Sabatino. Uh, Jessica is the pastor at Journey Church. She is uh, a co-host of the wildly popular podcast, Down to Earth, with Joyce Reese, who is a pastor in the city and uh, has spoken at the Convergence previously. Um, Jessica also happens to be my sister-in-law, mm. and so this could get fun. Um, we, have, we have a, we were talking about this, Marissa and I, earlier, um, at our, we live in the same city now. But even when we were not in the same city, we would get together and argue theology until right. one in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we that's would love it. Our
1: families. So this, what we're doing here, <laughs> welcome to our family vacation. Yes, that's what we do. This and, is 100 uh, percent correct. Our spouses hate it. What they do is sleep with their eyes open and roll their <laughs> eyes at us the entire time, because we have been fighting for about 20 years about just about everything. Yes. And really, sometimes we don't even disagree with each other. It's just the point of the argument. Right? No, I disagree.
2: I, I disagree with you. Right. You don't right. actually disagree uh-huh, with me because uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm right. I'm Please just kidding.
1: Start uh, all the authors now.
2: <laughs> now, Jess, I just wonder if we could start off tonight, uh, if you could give us an, an ax.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, so... The one time, I, some of you might have been there. This happened when uh, maybe I was going to say last year, but no, that was more like four years ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I was at. Phil sent me a letter saying, "Would you come and be on this panel at the UFC?" It was for the convergence. I think the first year the convergence started. Some of you may remember this powerful night. I didn't read the whole email though, because he's my brother-in-law. And so I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it," and I never read the whole email. <laughs> Well, at the bottom of the email, Phil asked me, please come with your favorite axiom. Okay, so now if you've ever heard me speak, I have a, a serious handicap. I can't, rem- I can't do sayings for the life of me, which is like ironic because I talk for a living. But I don't know if it's like you can't see the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees. I, don't, I can't even compute that. <laughs> Anyways, we get to the end and it's like me and like a whole bunch of very smart professor-like people. And they all lined back up, and I said to one of them, what, what are we doing here? And they said, oh, we're lining up to say our favorite axiom. <gasps> oh, my gosh, I don't even know an axiom. I am like the anti-Twitter person. So I stood there, and I said, <laughs> I still can't believe I did this. Mm-hmm. I stood and looked deeply into some of your eyes, because this is all, and I said as slowly as I could, never Ever, ever give up. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the powerful saying uh, I had for everybody. Like everybody else had like I think like fancy things. And I said to Phil tonight, sure, I'd love to come and talk at the conversion. But if you ask me to say a saying, I'm ser- I'm gonna get up off the couch, and I'm gonna leave and I'm never coming back. So anyways, here we are.
2: Here we are. Never right. give
1: up, everyone. Never give so up. I hope you're motivated by that.
2: We may have some of these Lovely uh, jokes that uh, appear throughout the night of ways that we will mock each other. Right. Um, but but I, I deeply respect Jess. She's uh, as I as I had written. Jess, you are a you read theologically a ton, but also on current issues, cultural issues, um, very up to date, and have phenomenal ideas. And so I thought you'd be. An amazing person to talk about deconstruction with tonight. Thank you. And uh, I guess on that, you know, if you feel like you're deconstructing, just never,
1: ever, ever
2: give up, okay? Ever. No, um, there's,
1: I think there are three evers in there. Yeah, there the might have been. Everyone really brings it home. Like you might have been giving up, but when you hear that third ever, you're not going to do it.
2: That's it. Yeah. So um, we're going to talk about deconstruction. And one of the, I think one of the things that I wanted to frame the evening. With just off the bat is deconstruction is this like massively popular word? Everybody is deconstructing or everybody's talking about deconstructing. Um, but the word deconstruction itself has a an origin, like all words. But um, this particular word comes to us, and I'm going to be honest, like Logan might be up at the microphone very quick because he's a philosophy student. Um, and he might correct me on some of this, but Jacques Derrida, um, the French philosopher, he is the one who, who coined, the, fra- uh, coined the, the, the word deconstruction. And I do think that there's a way in which we use the word deconstruction um, that oftentimes isn't true of the original intent. Right. This, of course, happens, but I, I think that there's enough within the word deconstruction in its original philosophical um, kind of launching into the world. That's, that's important for framing this conversation in a way. Um, so I have a couple books here tonight, and there's lots others. And, and Jess, if you want to throw out some book titles or whatever tonight. Mm. Um, this book is by Brad Jersak. It's called A More Christlike Way, A More Beautiful Faith. And um, he's got a trilogy of books, but this book in particular has a wonderful chapter on deconstruction. And um, one of the things, he talks actually about Derrida, and he, he says this, and he's drawing actually on the work uh, of a scholar named Sean Davidson, who's an Anglican scholar, and um, so Jersak says this, deconstruction for Derrida isn't about manning the barricades, because oftentimes when we hear this word deconstruction, it's like, we're going to... You know, I, I, I've interviewed Brad. Actually, I'll put, this, I'll put the clip of this on, on the podcast. He said, you know, like we're going to tear down the patriarchy and empty the pews and burn the church down. Mm. Um, and he said, well, for Derrida, um, it, it's not about manning the barricade. It's about learning to slow down, to attend closely to the way we use language. Uh, philosophy is often about language games and language linguistic understandings. He said it's to be mindful about how we discuss and practice truth and meaning. And this has important implications for theology. If you pay close attention to Derrida, he doesn't try to disprove truth claims. This is important because oftentimes uh, for when people talk about deconstruction, it's all about I'm going to disprove everything about Christianity. Right. Right. he says, Derrida doesn't do that. He doesn't try to disprove them, nor does he try to prove them. He remains open to truth and meaning. The point of deconstruction is to unmask claims to truth that pretend to stand on their own, independent of conditions and contexts. Um, and so then he moves on a little later, and he says, for many post-evangelicals, deconstruction tends to be practiced uh, as an intermediary stage of doubt and cynicism in the service of military progressivism. And he says that form of deconstruction is a construction, actually, um, that Derrida himself would have deconstructed. Um, and if you need to say, like, Phil, repeat that, um, you're making no sense, that's fine. <laughs> uh, Derrida's original practice provides a much needed corrective. It not only helps to critique institutionalized problems but also reactionary solutions and so i find this um just really an important thing because the point is about truth claims that a truth claim does not stand on its own we do not come um to truth claims like just they don't just exist in a vacuum right Right. and so the way that we talk about things Becomes deeply necessary.
1: Yeah, and I think the way, like, I think when we think about deconstruction, and I mean, all of us have probably heard that term or used it. We, like, I think the key is that we would think about. I, I like the way um, Derrida talked about it, a slowing down, because the antithesis to slowing down is pride, mm. and and so underneath slowing down is this idea of humility. So like when I talk about that when for like the speed I, of it. Well, when I don't know how to do something, okay, so that's any number of things. I'm really slow at it. Like think about mm-hmm. when you learned to drive. Okay, maybe driving isn't a good example, but for most of us, when we <laughs> learned to do something for the first time, we did it very slowly, right? Any new any new thing you pick up, yeah. doesn't matter what it is. Um But when we become more familiar with that idea or that skill, what? We go faster and we go, we like become fancy pants doing it as fast as we can. It's why like when I take my kids to the mountains now, they are down at the bottom of the hill waiting for me as I slowly make my way down the hill. And they, you know, because they think they're fancy now, they can do it. The problem with deconstruction, as we see it, I think, in the 21st century, is that we haven't taken in this idea of slowness Mm. into account. Instead, what we do is we burn down everything that we ever heard before, like it's got to be all wrong, like the patriarchy, blow it all up, and everybody. And we end up hurting ourselves because of that. I think for deconstruction to be healthy, there has to be humility in it. And humility is always slow because it says, I don't, I don't have all the answers right now. And this is, I think, the most important thing when we're talking about, like, I, I don't think God is ever concerned about our ideas or that we're putting up our hand going, hey, like, I'm wondering about this. Like, this is a very weird thing we do in the church or this is a very weird way that we interpret the Bible. I think the problem becomes, for all of us, and, and this is deconstructing anything, when we just say, like, I have the answers, I took a course on wh- whatever you took a course on. And it told me that this is the way that we do it, and we go quick to, like, mm. burn everything down. So you start your first year in university, and then by age 18, a ripe old age of 18, you got it all figured out, like it's all the worst.
2: Mm. We got a question. Um, I just wanted to know if you guys
1: have ever deconstructed and what that was like for you guys. Oh, yeah, 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 this is good. Yeah. So when I went to university uh, for the first year, the first year I was in university, I moved away from home and I was 17. And I moved, i lived in Ontario and I moved to BC. And I got to school and realized, oh my gosh, like, not everybody has the same worldview as me. And I can actually remember, I don't know if any of you have had this feeling before, like the world is spinning, like nothing makes sense anymore. Like, I don't know, like is God real? Was all the experiences I had before, like was this all fakery? Am I being bamboozled by history? I also was like very, I think, unaware of like things like the crusades and like the awful ways that humans are. It was all very it was all very, very disconcerting to me. So yes, I had like a massive, um, I remember thinking, I don't know how I'll come home because I don't know how I'll come home and tell my whole family that like, I don't know if I'm buying into this anymore.
2: Mm. I, I think for me, I, I, somebody else asked me this question recently and I think that I would differentiate personally between a macro deconstruction and a micro deconstruction. Sure. So I, ha- I have friends, um, and I have young adults from, you know, many places who, um, <laughs> I think because I'm outspoken on Facebook, um, much All to things. the chagrin of my family oftentimes. Mm. We uh, love
1: you. We love your Facebook updates. <laughs> we love your Facebook
2: uh, <laughs> uh Keep people entertained at least. But um uh. <laughs> Reach out and talk about deconstruction, and then, you know, of course, students at the university. But for many people, and including people, um, we talk about, you know, young adults, but people in their 40s and 50s who have had a major faith crisis um, where, like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian, and now I'm exploring if there is a God. Um, I would talk about that as probably a macro. Yeah. Uh, deconstruction. For me, I've had many micro-deconstructions where um, an issue has taken me to the edge, and this can be frightening. I'll, I think we can talk about this in a minute. Um, has taken me to the edge of something, and then you come back different. I do think in in, in a minute we'll talk about the... Um, so AJ Swoboda, who, who was speaking, talked about this kind of three-stage of construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. And I think we actually see that a lot in in all of the famous myths where there's uh, a person is at home they're formed in that place, they leave home uh often for a great battle of some sort, and then they come back home, but back home they're a different person than they were before they left home. so I would say that's happened to me on many smaller
1: yeah and issues. i I would say um so I like I know deconstruction is such like a it's like a buzzword, but, but the truth is in our life we're always deconstructing.
2: Mm.
1: I mean that's just true of all of us, not just in if the we're spiritual healthy, at least, world. Right? Yes, like I I would say that I, you know on an ongoing basis I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm not going away from Jesus, but I am asking big questions because like I mean like let's just talk about the last two years. Has it been two years, 19, 20 months, 2,000 months. I mean, <laughs>
2: probably like if that didn't
1: cause you to ask a lot of questions about like what, what's happening in the world, then I were you Are al- have you been alive in the last 20 months? Mm. So I think you know, my brother died, deconstruction, my uh, you know, I had babies that died, deconstruction, I had you know, you just it's, so there's like this ongoing thing, but that's kind of like how we live our lives, right? If you've lived in a house. Like, or an apartment for any kind of time, you know when you like change the furniture around or like put up a new thing? That's like a form of deconstruction. And if, unless you're like a static person who never changes, we actually are always deconstructing, which is why I don't think we have to be afraid of it. Like, of course you're deconstructing. Maybe this season you're having like bigger questions than last season. Yeah. But maybe you're just doing a renovation. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you have to burn your whole house down, though, either.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I was just kind of thinking, uh, so Jesus in the desert being tempted by the devil, was that some sort of deconstruction, do you think? Mm. Or not relevant at all to this conversation? (laughs) Mm.
1: Well, you know, I think that's actually a really good point, because I actually think Jesus was a major deconstructionist. I actually think you could give him the title, Jesus De... Because what what deconstruction is in its essence is taking one way that we looked at something and then going, nah, we had that wrong. We're going to look at it this way. And that's what Jesus, like his essential mission was to like... I mean, yes, he came to show good news to us, but part of the good news was like, nah, you guys got it wrong. God is not some like rule like, bear down, I'm going to, like, burn you up. God, no, he's a God that wants relationship with you. So in, in actual fact, mm. uh, it, Phil and I were talking about this, and I think we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, but I, but I actually think all the prophets of the Old Testament, they were deconstructionists. It's like if you're facing a season of deconstruction, great. You might just be called on to write a book, like Jeremiah or Ezekiel.
2: Mm.
1: One of the fairly happy ones, like well, Lamentations.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think... Going back to the original meaning uh, of the word, Jesus is, Jesus, I I like what you said, is the great deconstructor. And I think pushes us, actually, towards deconstruction. And imagine wrapping our heads around that, that deconstruction, uh, it can be deeply unhealthy, but I think it can, because it's what causes us to grow and mature, uh, it can be very healthy as well.
1: So, so I think it can be unhealthy if we're tied to a religion and not a person. So, so you, you cannot... Deconstru- to, to de- to, to, for me to say, I'm going to deconstruct a person, I'm going I'm to have a deconstruction of our relationship, that, that's hor- never say that to somebody, <laughs> that's horrible. You can't deconstruct a person because it's to deny their personhood. So this is where Jesus is totally different than anything, because it's not a religion. So God's not, God's not intimidated by you deconstructing the religion of Christianity. Who cares? It's a construct. So long as we stayed anchored to the person of Jesus, you see how that, like, I, I think we actually don't have to be afraid at all, because we're just, like, rearranging furniture at some level. We're staying in the house and rearranging the furniture, and...
2: Well, if you think here about the nature of the temptation, I think is instructive. So when you have, um, if you do this, you know, if you throw yourself from the temple, um, then you'll be, you know, heaven and earth will bow down and worship. And we go, well, wait, isn't this the goal That, that, you know, everyone will worship Jesus? Or if you do this, you can turn the stones into bread. Well, isn't Jesus the one who turns water into wine? So it's a fascinating point, actually, because what's being deconstructed here is not actually the thing itself, but the way to the thing. And I think that this is much of what's being deconstructed currently and why it's so big is because um, we've pushed a utilitarian faith that says um, it doesn't matter how we get people into the church.
1: Right. Right.
2: If we can grow our churches, the, the ends justifies the means, um, which is a truth claim. But what Jesus is deconstructing and deconstructed in the temptation narrative is precisely the point that that's totally inaccurate um, because we're building on faulty frames. I think this is where we're at in the moment. The frames that we built. So we grew up in this entrepreneurial, like, we're just going to go do great things, you know, for Jesus. I heard, I heard um, one guy talk about, you know, we're going to get off our knees and figure out how God works. <laughs> I'm like, good luck yeah, with sir. that. But, but people bought into it. And then what happened is, here we are. Everybody's deconstructing. Why? Because um, how we get to a thing is different than the thing itself.
1: Yeah, and I also think, like, in some ways, I think it's semantics. I think people have been de- deconstructing forever. Like I actually sure. don't think I don't actually think the twenty first century is like any different. Like I don't think people are like, Oh my I-, I don't think we have to be worried. Like the church is gonna like people are gonna empty out of the church. I mean, sure, people aren't but they did that in the eighties too, and they only went to rock and roll churches and like there was there's a there was a deconstruct then too happening. And then we had secret sensitive churches because people deconstructed that not everybody has to believe the same as we do to come into the church. There's been It's just like we're doing different renovations in different parts of the room. So people are nervous right now because maybe we're deconstructing the kitchen, which seems like it's bigger. But I think before we were deconstructing bedrooms.
2: But, But I also think that we are in a pretty significant moment where things have unraveled before our eyes, pretty significantly.
1: Well, yeah, but I think if you look historically back at the life of the church, there's been many seasons where we have we have said the same thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. This is what here. you're gonna see us fight here.
1: <laughs> Do you see that? That was Phil <laughs> acquiescing. If we were by a pool, he would not acquiesce. We would be. We're, <laughs> we're
2: early in the evening. We're-
0: <laughs> yeah, Jess, uh, earlier you talked about how you went to university the first year and yep. you started to have all these questions and even questioning, is God real? Is my experience of him real? So it got me thinking, um, what is the connection or relationship between doubt and deconstruction, and are they mutually exclusive? Does mm. one like lead to another, and vice yeah. versa? And how can how does one navigate that like doubt right. and deconstruction? Right, yeah. right.
1: So, I mean, I think you can only get to deconstruction when you start to doubt, right? Like, and I think I think that's not something we have to be worried. Like, oh my gosh, I'm deconstructing; I must be doubting. I mean, just to take my to take my analogy of. Fixing your house to the very nth degree. I mean, you only recondition your house when you doubt that it looks good anymore, right? Like, you look at that kitchen and go, that's, that's ugly. We are changing that. So what you're doing with doubt is you're looking at something and saying, that's ugly. So I don't know, how are we going to change that up? But I love what C.S. Lewis said, that, like, doubt is like one foot poised. We don't have to be worried about doubt. I mean, doubt is all throughout. Mm. If, God, if we had to be worried about doubt, I mean... If, we sh- if I had to stand up here and say, you know what, we should really just try to stay away from doubt, we'd have to burn half the Bible, literally. Because hmm. a lot of it, maybe not half, maybe one-third, like one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. The, l- lament and doubt are kind of commingled. Because you don't doubt something until you're sad about it. Like, nobody ever came to doubt with like, wow, I'm really doubting, it's so amazing, I'm so excited about it. Like, when you doubt, it's the season of grief. But I think part of the reason we're scared of doubt is that our culture has been so afraid of grief. We're Mm -hmm. so afraid of like um, grieving anything. So that's like grieving death, grieving uh, a loss of what was before, a loss of, like I I had a real season of grief where I grieved what I used to think about the Bible. Mm -hmm. Because until my 20s, I think I thought of the Bible as like a magical book. Like, and if I had a Bible, like, all the promises of God were going to come true. And then my brother died. And, like, I was like, what? The promise of healing. What? And that was, that was grief. Because, like, before, if you thought you were carrying around a magical Bible that needed a, one of those Bible protectors on it, <laughs> that felt right. like armor. Mm. And then you had a book that you realized was inspired by God. Yes, so it didn't—it didn't make my view of the Bible any less high. It just—I recognized that it wasn't going to be like Captain America's shield, because that's, I thought it would shield me from pain and horrible things, and I don't know, pandemics and things like that. Yeah, and, and that causes. Grief, and, and still when I think about that, like 25 years later, I still have like, there's like a little bit of grief because there was like naivety that came with that that was beautiful. and it's, it's But it's okay. That doesn't mean that I've like gone away from Jesus. It just means that like I grieve sometimes that I'm not a child anymore and I can't run around all day in a sprinkler because that would be weird.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but I grieve that. But at some level, you sure. grieve that you're not a child anymore, that yeah. you can't do that. So we grieve and we doubt and we reconstruct and we deconstruct and that's called being, I actually think it's called being human.
2: So, oh, we got another one. Go for it. Um, Just from online
0: here, we have Samuel asking, um, what is the crucial difference between macro and micro? Micro deconstruction is one more important than the other. Um, And I like that aspect of importance. um, Maybe as well, if you want to touch on that.
2: Mm. Well, for, for me, uh, I would just say that, that the difference is, for me, macro deconstruction is, is where basically I think your faith is on the line. Um, micro deconstruction, I, th- I like what you just said, we're deconstructing things all the time. Like um, We have an idea, and maybe we've even, even held it for a long time, but we're pushing it to the edge and coming back. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make a claim uh, on on which is more important. Um,
1: I would say though, if you don't have micro deconstructions, you will have a major deconstruction.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good point. This is a good point.
1: So I mean, so this is why we cannot be. This is why I'm like, I feel sad when people feel like they can't have doubts, and you should be having little doubts all the time. It's okay. That's like very a normal part of being a Christian person, of yeah. being a thinking person. Because if you're not deconstructing, then I. I wonder if you're actually sticking your head in the sand Well not interacting with yeah. life or the Bible.
2: Totally. We, we call this deck of cards faith where your whole faith is constructed on all these pieces which cannot be moved and cannot be doubted. The problem is it's like a deck of cards. As soon as you move, remove one, um, because you've built the whole frame on this idea that you cannot doubt it and... Um, if you do, I mean, it's, it's disastrous. So then you go to first-year university, and you're in, your, like, your third philosophy class or whatever. Somebody brings something up, and you're like, what, what, what? And it, you pull the one thing out, and the whole house collapses. Right. So you, don't, you didn't have the, the micro-deconstruction, which is, I think why it's so important to have safe environments and safe people
1: yeah.
2: with whom you can talk, because it's not... <laughs> I mean, maybe what's some of the things behind that, like, why... Why do you think there are environments where we've been unallowed to doubt?
1: Well, I, I wonder, like, as I kind of, I was thinking about this all week, about the idea of deconstruction and why this has become, like, for, for pastors and colleagues that I talk to, like, it's a great source of worry for them, particularly if they have young adults like yourself sitting in the church. Like, I think this is something pastors talk about, like, I think part of it is our obsession, though, with um, our individualism. Like I think if we if we can't talk yes. about individualism and deconstruction, then we're not actually talking about it correctly. The idea that we are just one person with all the ideas, like you've got a corner on the truth, with no um, with no acknowledgement that I stand on the ideas of. 2,000 years of the church. I think that actually is what, like that lack of humility, like that going quickly. We'd burn it all down. I'm burning 2,000 years worth of like church growth and church, you know, discipleship. I'm just yes. going to burn it all down because I, the one person, the one man, the one Marvel person, I'm going to save the universe with my cynicism.
2: Well, and I think this is important, too, because, you know, a couple of things on this. So um, first is a lot of times people come. They're like, well, you know, it's like, what are you struggling with? Well, this whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, but you, you get that people question that like 1600 years ago. Right. But they but people don't always get that right away. And so the the, the study, the historical study, theological study of Christianity is so immense. Right. Um, one of the things that I that I liked in AJ's book, um, and this is this is the book here after doubt, and this whole book is on deconstruction, um, and it's great. I really like the first couple of chapters because he's deconstructing, and, and this is what I think about deconstruction: we have to deconstruct deconstruction as, as along with everything else as a truth claim by itself, and that's what Jersack's doing as well. But he had said this to your point. The dec- uh where are we at here? Um, yes, Fobota. In contrast to traditional cultures, Western culture underscores individuality and breaking with the past mm-hmm. by giving social privilege to those who earn it. Um, and there's a couple of things I want to dig into here. So he says achievement, work, wealth, accumulation, popularity, and education, these are how we find honor now. And that obsession has driven us to an epistemic anxiety and fatigue. And then he says, Um, that whereas honor cultures guard, protect, and pass along deeply held beliefs, achievement cultures privilege and prioritize breaking from the the past dogmas that are dogmatically dismissed as sheer naivete. uh, New ideas, it's implied, are more likely to be true. And I think this is important in in a few ways. So... um, one if it's of the new is like-
1: better. So the idea like if I'm a post anything. Yeah. I'm a post orthodox. Like you just put that word post on any word you'd like to put. <laughs> I'm a post wallpaper person. Yes. And you, you are a designer extraordinaire. Like you could you could say put post on anything or neo. And if you put neo and post together, dang, you might as well sign yourself up for tenure. <laughs> so, 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 but this idea that you can you can we can do better by by having newness so freshness. what
2: what i think is amazing here though, is, is then he makes he says exactly that and then he makes this move though to um now what happens is we've become we've traded something and now we have a different anxiety we have a different shame yeah we have all these different so i see these reactionary movements like there's a particular book on uh, sexuality, and it's supposed to be this like revolutionary new take. You're dressed in black, so I never saw you. The, okay. This revolutionary new take, and I'm like, it's shame in just a whole different direction, right? right. So, yes. anyway, right, so, yeah. Perf-
0: perfect segue. But I do feel like I'm entering the dragon's den, so I'm very nervous. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't be, but. Uh, one of the uh, that 's the perfect segue, really, because back to your comment, Jess, about saying um, why why do we feel we cannot openly deconstruct or why is there shame around doubting? I, I think there there is a shame in general about feelings in general, mm. and I think it's important to not separate the intellectual deconstruction. Mm. And, and the feelings and perceptions that mm. God gives us. So, um, you may or may not agree with this, but uh, there are no more moral um, attributes we can attach to feelings. Mm. So, feelings are feelings. There's not, like, a right or wrong. Um, so, I think, I think that has to be acknowledged and, and accept that some things in the church or that christians have practiced create anger Mm -hmm. and follow the anger i i think um yeah so just looking at it in a frame of like i actually feel things about what people are saying and my feelings are not bad Mm. i think that's the beginning of unpacking maybe some some bigger questions but
2: Mm -hmm. so good
0: Yeah, just not separate.
1: Right. Mm. Right. This is, we always need this. We always need this true because we get all here and forget about here. Thank you.
2: Which, (laughs) yeah, which isn't the moment kind of emotive right now too.
1: Right. And important. And that is what the church, I think this is why people are mad because their feelings haven't been acknowledged. Right. So then people, you know, and your feelings actually are more powerful than anything else. I mean, you can say it's your intellect, but we all know it's because you're mad that you burned that down or that you threw that baby out with the bathwater, not literally, just figuratively.
2: So, yeah, so, the, so, we so do a safe have to, place.
1: Yes, but, and I think probably that is a thing we have to get better at as Christians, acknowledging each other's feelings. Like, I feel, I feel unsafe talking about X, Y, or Z. Or, Come on, that's
2: not spiritual. You can't say that. It's only happy feelings that belong here.
1: Happy, clappy. Or unicorns, sad. pixie dust.
2: Happy or sad.
1: Never anger.
2: But not anger.
1: Anger is ungodly.
2: But Okay, but this is why the kitchen isn't burning, actually. Um, or being reconstructed. <laughs> I, I do have to add one more. Oh. Uh, no, nope, yeah. hold on. Yeah, go for it.
0: Okay, sorry. Uh, this was my main point. Um, where there is anger, there is hope. And yes. when we... Um, uh. When we become depressed, just like as people, right? We have moments of depression at times. Uh, we, we kind of implode. We decide to like deflate or, or look inward. Um, and we sort of give up on something, right? But where, where there is anger, there is hope mm. for change. Mm. So just let that little spark, don't let it make you run but yes. let it be the, the beginning. Sorry, had to add that. Oh,
2: good. no, I think, really that's, yeah, I that's, think ex- that's genius. And yeah. I think that AJ in, in his sermon, this is where he was saying, if you're doubting, it's actually a sign that you do have faith. Yeah. It's not a sign that you're losing your faith. It's a sign that you care. The anger is a sign. Yeah, okay, I like I, that he I'm, I'm going to get you're, all fired you're, up now.
1: You're, you're actually positioned well as a missionary.
2: Mm, yeah, yes.
1: Because thomas himself became a missionary in his doubt yeah yeah
2: so i want to i want to ask about let's go to this kind of three mode construction deconstruction reconstruction conversation i'm curious about the construction piece um so construction being the things and not everybody grew up at church so you had perhaps a different construction Uh, Or you, your initial time in church might have come much later. But regardless, um, we have most, many of us were given the faith of the church in Jesus at a very young age. And I'm, I'm curious about this because I think that there's, I think there's this assumption. Like, do you hear a lot of times from people like, "Why didn't anybody tell me that?" Right.
1: Right. Okay. So this is a big thing. And I think uh, like there's people get so mad, like my church didn't talk about this. Well, why didn't they talk about sexuality? And sometimes I just want to push back and go, because you were seven (laughs) and it would have been inappropriate for us to discuss that with you at seven years old. I mean, it's similar though, to like when we're learning anything. I mean, when you learned long division, do you remember that beauty of the thing in the fifth grade, okay, nobody said, okay, so what we're going to learn today, 10-year-olds, is trigonometry. Because it'd be really unfair for us not to teach that to you now. Get out your pencils. Yeah. Some of you are traumatized, even as I bring back long division here. <laughs> like, I am so traumatized. I'm trying to
2: do it with my kids. And I, I'm like, I, I, I don't remember
0: sometimes, how I'm I nervous.
1: think sometimes <laughs> we get mad. Like, and I, a little bit, when I went through this deconstruction, I was like, I remember sitting in my uh, apartment, listening to very sad Sarah McLaughlin songs, because that's how old I am. <laughs> um, and why didn't my church tell me that the Bible wasn't a magical Bible? Well, because I was 14, and I wouldn't have understood about all that, and I didn't care also. So sometimes we, in retrospect, we look back on what we know now and say they should have told me that then, and maybe that wasn't even appropriate for us to know. And,
2: and some of it they probably... like.
1: The claim is not that
2: that they shouldn't, I think there's damaging ways, like, if we're teaching kids, and this this really bothers me, if we're teaching kids that, you know, here's what God is like, Um, Jesus is full of mercy, but really, if you don't trust him, God the Father is going to burn you in hell for eternity. Like, that, telling that to a six-year-old, really telling it to anyone, in my opinion, is deeply damaging. So there is, there is a damaging thing, and we...
1: <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> the look. Oh, you have just blown this conversation up um, now. I'm going to ignore that, though. We're just going to keep going.
2: Well, well, let me say... So let me say this. I, I think as children, um, there are damaging things that we can... We totally. Can, so
1: and as people, like I, think, like I think of myself as a woman, and I think I never thought to myself ever that I would ever be in, in ministry... Because, of course, women, I mean, technically, I guess, some women did it, but they were weird women that did it, and they were women that, like, were, like, I don't know, weird, like, and so was that damaging? I was going to think of other words, but then I think I'm going to be on tape forever. Uh, like, so I think, it was there damaging ways? Yes. Yes. But were the, so I think then it's coming back to, like, but were those people evil? No. They weren't evil, they were just... Some
2: like, of them. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them might have been. Well,
1: I mean, it's like saying our cars were pollutants in the 50s, and I mean, like, couldn't we have right. had a Tesla car then? Yeah. Well, I'm sure... But we, we didn't. So, like, were the people making Fords in the 1950s evil? No, they were just, like, uninformed.
2: But the ones using those cars to kidnap children were evil. Right, but, so, right. So, okay, but, the car- but if we
1: know better, we do better. <laughs> yeah. If we don't know better, we don't do better. And so part of it is, like, I, I do think sometimes it, it, the construction that we get angry about, which, which I think we have to acknowledge the anger. I think, like, when I felt called to ministry, then, yeah, like, I've had lots of years of, like, do you know how good I'd be at sayings right now? If I had known, I could have been a pastor 30 years ago. Like, I think there is some anger there, but also it cannot be directed at people. It's got to be directed at systems. When we get it directed at people, then it mm. takes us away from the person of Jesus, and that creates ongoing now problems. Now I feel
2: guilt. I'm thinking of the people I'm directing it to. But, um, <laughs>
1: sure. So,
2: like, I think this is an important point, though, when we get to... So, so you're right. The only reason I'm I'm pushing the other side of that is because i think i don't want people to get the impression that we're here like oh because there are people like this like oh right. all deconstruction sucks and you're overreacting it's like no
1: no 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 i think the deconstruction's real yes. i just don't know that we have to burn everything down i right. think i think the deconstruction is fine yeah. i just think it, i think it's fine for us to say it's fine here's
2: uh, yeah and here's where i think um so one of my major deconstructions did happen around actually the topic of hell. This would be mm-hmm. one of my biggest ones. I had read a book and um, somebody presented a different view. and th- I would have been late 20s and uh, and it...
1: I was available for this <laughs> construction, we were <laughs> I
2: would have been fine otherwise. Uh, it, 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 it scared the hell out of me and so, um, literally, and um, so I read this thing I, actually because it was very gracious in its view. but. I didn't know what to do with that because much of my belief system was based on heaven and hell. Um, so I had to call somebody and I had to work that through. So I look back at that. What I'm nervous of is that we have, we have people now. And some of these, uh, one person I'm thinking of in particular is a friend of mine actually. And he is one of the kind of poster children for deconstruction. And probably would take the um, many of you would might listen to the podcast um, would take the position of like well the church never told us this I'm gonna tell everybody the problem is where and I always feel like publicly outing him it's like bro I remember when we were like mid to late 20s discussing our liberation of feeling like we could listen to secular music on the way to church, mm. like you—you you were not like Celine some major Dion
1: corrupting his mind. You were not some major progressive
2: guy right. at twenty-five years old. So now you're in your forties and you want to burn everything down. So I, I have a, a good friend who's a professor, and he said, you know, pedi- good pedagogy will. Um, we need to like people can't just always be comfortable right so you're a teacher Mm -hmm. you don't want people to remain comfortable but there is a way in scaring people that can actually do damage to their souls.
1: yes yes
2: and so it's like knowing that balance so do you do you think that in deconstruction that there are a lot that there's this maybe a large percentage of people who forget their own journey and are like Well, I'm going to tell you the whole truth.
1: (laughs) Sure, but then I think it's like I think we just have to anchor ourselves to humility, that says like I don't know everything. So like we hold. So if you're deconstructing, just hold everything loosely. If we hold everything loosely, like the way that we deconstruct matters. Yeah. So if we say that we love Jesus and we're anchored to Jesus, the way that we deconstruct totally matters. And I guess like, you know, I I've been a pastor for we almost 25 years now, and I think I've seen a lot of people do a lot of deconstructing over 25 years. And I guess what I just have had to go, I have a high view of the power of God still mm. and the power of the Holy Spirit that, yeah, go ahead, ask all your questions, deconstruct all the things. I just believe the Holy Spirit can, like, I don't know, draw you back to him and that it's not my job to, like, tell you the right way to believe mm. Although it is my job to tell you the right way to believe when we're on vacation with our families. <laughs> uh, but like, it's not my job to do that. And it's not your job to like, so, maybe you know somebody who's in the middle of a major deconstruction. Well, I think the worst thing that we can say is like, you better, you better get things straight with God and get your Bible protector back on your Bible. Mm. Like, I'm so worried for your soul. Because nobody ever came back to the person of Jesus because somebody was, like, shaming them back into it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I I think we can just say, like, we hold it loosely and just say, okay, so you're having a Job moment. Mm. Oh, well, you and, like, half the Bible. Yeah. And God can bring people back to him. Or, like, maybe you're not even away from God. You're just asking like, what we have to believe is that God holds us close to his heart. We have to actually believe the psalms that tells us he encompasses us, he covers us with his wings. Mm. He doesn't just do that for his people when they're singing, like, Reckless Love or, like, some <laughs> soft <laughs> song that's really right. nice at the time. He covers us with the, his wings when we have questions, deep questions. Question.
2: Yes.
0: Speaking of questions, um, As someone who does not like sitting in emotions helpless, I should probably feel my feelings more than I do. Um, What are, also not asking for like the five step plan to get out of deconstruction here, (laughs) but what are some like practical ways of not solving deconstruction per se, but getting through it in a healthy way as opposed to an unhealthy way? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You you know, I think the only thing I've at least found works for me is, like, what do I actually know to be true? So when I'm in the middle of a deconstruct season, which... So what do I actually know to be true? So I actually know that Jesus loves me. Like, as dumb as it is... Like, that's not dumb. But as basic as that is... I'm not good at sayings. Again, I'm not good at sayings. As basic as that is, I know that Jesus loves me. I know that I've experienced him. Hmm. I, I, you know, I've been really thinking about how the Old Testament, um, particularly Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, are these remembering books. And I often wonder if the reason, I, I, I've been reading through Numbers recently, or our staff is reading through Numbers and we've been asking ourselves, why are we reading about boils for the 35th time, like this mm. is so gross. Why? And, and, you know, I've been thinking about how important remembering was for a Hebrew culture.
0: Mm.
1: And I think when you're in the middle of deconstruction, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a great formula, but it is helpful, is to remember. Remember what God has done. We are yes. quickly forgetting. We yeah. are quickly forgetting people. And so I think coming back to, okay, I'm, I'm going to actually take time. This, like, this is why your pastor will tell you to journal, is so that you can come back to the remembering of mm. what God did when you prayed that prayer and said, God, like, if you help me with this biology test, I'll serve you all my days in my life, and God actually did help you?
2: <laughs>
1: that's a miracle. You gotta hang on to, that's like, that's like the God healing you of the boils in Numbers 15, right? Like that's, um, yeah. but I think remembering is the key to our construction. We cannot construct without memory. And remembering those feelings we had, like yeah. those are not, those are not, we, we have minimized those. I really like what you were saying, Marissa, that we actually, I think often mim- minimize feelings when we're in the middle of deconstruction. And I think probably the best thing to do is re- is really lean into those feelings. When my brother died and I wanted to quit, I just, months later, I remembered, oh no, but I remember, driving home from the hospital, and the Holy Spirit was with me. Hmm. I knew that. Like, there's no other way I could describe that. And so, like, remembering that when I wanted to quit, well, probably that's a good thing to remember.
2: Yeah. Um, My suggestion would be to find wise people who love Jesus. Yeah. So that, um, and I think both are important. You can have... Um, very smart people who are cynical of everything. I'm not sure they're the best person because this is the reconstruction phase. Um, Today I learned of... So there's this famous painting. I'll put this up on on Instagram uh, tomorrow on the Convergence uh, site. There's this famous painting called uh, Eke Homo, which means Behold the Man. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus. It was in this church, but it had... um, deteriorated pretty significantly, and so restoration, which, by the way, Jersak talks about as maybe even a better metaphor or better word than um, deconstruction. Right. This idea of actually going back, like things got marred along the way, but there was this um, old lady, she was in her 80s, and she was an amateur artist, and she took it upon herself, or maybe someone asked her, and she thought, I'm a good enough artist. I can, uh, I can restore this mm. very famous painting. Mm. And uh, you can look it up. This
1: is not going to go well.
2: And so she attempted to restore this famous, ancient, beautiful painting. And it came out looking <laughs> like the most ludicrous thing you've ever seen in your life, where people uh, actually titled it um, Eke Mono." so instead of eke Homo which is behold the man eke Mono means behold the monkey because it looks literally like a, like you look at it and you think there's, I think even SNL did a skit on it but this is an I think it's actually an important picture because um, who you reconstruct with if you're reconstructing with someone who knows what they're doing they actually do know theology they can walk you back and say hey that's a great question sometimes like Especially for personal questions, right? Like, you know, why did my brother die? Well, if we probably want to avoid people who say, well, I know, right? right. Um, but people say, what about this belief? And they could say, well, yeah, 1,700 years ago, this person talked about this. Um, but they have a, a tender heart. They love Jesus. And they, they can walk you back through, I think, can actually restore the beauty of the picture, whereas others, I think, can create, you know, behold the monkey. And, right. and this is, I do think it just strikes me like that there are a lot of people right now that they're constructing these things like, and it's like, this is the thing. And, and you know why I'm saying this? And, and they think they're pushing the edges. It's like, because I am, I am done with the colonial, you know, all the things. And I'm like, it's complete colonialism. Like you just haven't realized that what you've said is actually colonial, right? they, you just haven't thought about it deeply enough. So I think who you do it with.
1: Yeah, and I think anytime, I'm always leery of anybody grasping anything very, outside of Jesus, we we can't grasp anything too tightly. Anytime mm. you get somebody, you get around, and you know the feeling when someone is like, they know all the things. And I think I think what we wanna do is be a community of people that says open-handed, everything but Jesus, we just, you know, Like, in some ways, what I think I've had to learn to say to myself is, relax, God's got it all worked out. Either I believe that or I don't. Like, either, like, because if God isn't actually who I think he is, like, sometimes I say that God is all-powerful, and we can sing all these songs about God being powerful and mighty, but the way that I act when someone's got questions and doubts, like, I don't actually (laughs) believe that, right? So part of it is just relaxing and saying, God, you're all-powerful. I don't think we have to be uptight. I don't think we have to worry that, like, nobody's going to be a Christian anymore and everybody's going to deconstruct their house.
0: Yeah. Matthew. Hello. It's on, I think. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned to, if you're going through deconstruction to seek, like, wise counsel, um, but if you're friends with someone who has gone through, like, a major deconstruction and, like, kind of left the church mm-hmm. and is, like, leaving behind those maybe wise people, Mm. how do we, like, friends, or as a community, help people that have gone through, like, major deconstruction? And how do we, like, love them and support them uh, through that?
1: Um, So I think about the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, do not judge lest you be judged. I think this is a very like ubiquitous, we hear this a lot, right? Like you're judging me and stop judging me. But actually what Jesus was meaning there is don't diminish the person.
2: Mm.
1: And I think, you know, in my 20s, probably half my friends deconstructed and walked away from the church. So then what was my role in that? I think that's such a really amazing Jesus follower question to ask. And I think the thing is, is that we wouldn't judge them. Now I'm not saying that we don't say, hey, maybe you're not, making great decisions, is that we wouldn't diminish them as people, so that we would still embrace their humanity and we would just keep showing up for them. Mm. I mean, Jesus just kept showing up for his disciples. Some worshipped and some doubted. He just kept, right, showing up. So I just think we keep showing up and probably, probably less is more. Like, so if we come with, like, the attitude like, oh, I'm so worried that if a meteor were to hit the world tonight, you might I don't, that's not gonna help anybody, but I think if we just have this real, and I think we gotta ask God for it, like I had to ask God, would you just bring me peace for my friends that were called by you? I don't know, you, you've got your name, you've got their name, I don't know. I'm just not gonna like, people that make bad lifestyle decisions, I think this is where we just go, okay, I'm not getting uptight about this. I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna live the life that Jesus has called me to live, and I'm just gonna hold you open-handed. I don't know, and in the end, like 20 years later, I just had. Um, so I, ha- I have a friend who we grew up in high school together, and we loved God, and we went to conventions and tried to find boyfriends and <laughs> unsuccessfully. Um, and she walked away from the Lord and had a major. We didn't call it deconstruction. Sorry, someone, someone is trying what to. Are you funny? Uh, we she we didn't call it deconstruction then. We called it backsliding. That's that's <laughs> the terminology we used for it then. Yep. She was backsliding, and she backslid for, you know, the better part of her life. In the summer, I, I, I always try to just don't meet up with her, and we just chat. And You know, in the middle of that conversation, she said to me, so how come you've kept being a friend to me, and no one else, no one else sort of like keeps up because, like, I'm not praying Jesus. Like, she was, she's kind of mad about it all. But I realized she wasn't actually mad at Jesus. What she was mad about is that everybody had walked away from her. Mm. And no. I, all, I almost wonder if, like, sometimes we just keep walking with people. Just keep walking with people. You don't need to get worried. Don't, don't be worried.
2: Yes. It, it, so I, one of the things I've deconstructed is the idea of... I do think there's, we can recognize moments where the Spirit of God is at work, but I do not worry, you know, when I was young, it was... What if that person goes and gets hit by a car tonight? Their soul is hanging in the eternal balance. I now believe so deeply in the love and patience of God that, um, I I think God is all the time in the world, literally. And so I don't worry about that. I I think super practically to your question is it's okay to say, I don't know. And, and also can I get back to you? Um, we and, all... and also,
1: maybe I don't agree with you.
2: Yeah, that too. It's
1: totally okay to say, like, you and I don't bleed the same thing. But that doesn't mean I don't see you as a person. Right. Per- particularly, this becomes very important in the 21st century when we talk about sexual ethics. When we talk about, like, and these are the things we actually have to, like, We as Christians, we kind of, like, skirt around this. Like, we'll talk about everything but that. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is some of the reason where people are having breakdowns, right? They're having deconstruction over over the orthodox sexual ethics. And so like I don't know where you personally stand, but I've had lots of conversations with people, like, I don't know, outside of Jesus, like, uh, I love you, maybe we don't agree on that particular area, but it's not a primary issue. It's probably not even a secondary issue, it's probably tertiary, and so like, I also don't like the pants you're wearing. Like Mark, me personally,
2: or yeah, well, oh, no. <laughs> so I, I think, like on a, on a theological issue, though, it comes does come back to humility, where um, you don't have to know the answer to engage the person. Walk with them, and then ask ask another. Say, you know what? I have no clue. That's a really good question. Let me ask somebody, and uh, yeah, we'll go go one more.
0: All right, this is uh, kind of changing gear a little bit, but yeah, uh, good. Do you, well, can you think of any um, mythological representations of like the uh, deconstruction, reconstruction kind of process? Mm. Uh,
2: a method, well. Like a, a mythological. Oh, mythological. So, yeah,
0: so like Phoenix from the ashes, say that kind of thing. Or.
2: Yeah. Um, I think almost all the
1: yeah, like almost every great story we tell is a deconstruction-reconstruction story. So, like, uh, did anybody go watch the movie Dune? This
2: Haven't seen it yet, feel like a spoiler alert ta- is... Okay, sorry,
1: uh, okay. No, we won't talk about Dune.
2: No, no, yeah. I'm not
1: going to tell you the story of that, but in some ways that's a deconstruction. It's a total deconstruction. It's actually construction, a very long, 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 four books long deconstruction. And then I won't. Now I've wrecked the story.
2: <laughs> I didn't listen. Okay. <laughs> actually, uh, I paid uh, zero attention to okay, what you just so said. so then,
1: like, uh, but like, maybe all the, all the, um, like, in some ways, all the Star Wars movie, every, every major show we yes. watch, that's uh, that, and in some Beauty ways. Beauty and the
2: Beast. Yes. L- literally. Like, yes. Right?
1: But in some ways, that's why I actually think we don't need to be worried about it, because it's human. To de- it's actually what we live for. It's the story we live for. One man decided to do something, and he didn't do it, and his life became a wreck. And then he triumphed and he triumphed in the end.
2: Yeah, I, 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 if you could make it a little more inclusive, it doesn't always have to be a man. I know, just. but it always
1: okay. is a man. And I would <laughs> like to deconstruct that right now, <laughs> except for Wonder Woman, which was.
2: Wait, but, but think, think about beauty. Yeah, come, come and ask a follow, oh, a follow question. Follow up question on that, I guess. Is the, the Abraham story kind of
1: oh, playing out? Sure, yeah.
2: Yeah. Abraham, Moses. Um, yeah.
1: Any of the minor prophets? They all... Uh, Daniel. Let's, like... Um, I was thinking about... Um, well, well, really, like, Thomas, obviously. Peter. When you get a deconstruction story that is ends in ruin, it's Judas, right? So mm. he has questions, wow. and then he doesn't push those questions to the furthest limit. He gives up before he gets to the end. Mm. And that's what we don't want to have, people giving up and metaphorically like hanging themselves. This is why I think we have to just be like, Yes. Rest. It's, it's, your questions are fine. God's fine with them. Yeah. In fact, in some ways, I think, like, of course, you're making the church a better place. I, I would just say this, though. I'd say if you're deconstructing, yes, but there comes a point where you've got to think about reconstruction. My concern right now for young adults that are deconstructing is that there is no reconstruct. Yeah. It's just like deconstruct, 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 down with everything. And then, but then what that leaves you is homeless. Because you burn down your house and then you have nothing. You have nowhere to be. And you, and I believe at the core of my being that you were built to be in community. So like the church, like the capital C church, actually needs your questions to be functioning at its proper and best place. Like, I'm only a pastor today because somebody sat in a pew somewhere and thought, no, it's not right that it's only men. And they didn't leave. They didn't burn everything down. They just kept annoying everybody with their questions. So, like, if you're annoying everyone with your questions, party on. You're probably changing something structurally that needs to be changed. And it might not change today, and it might not change tomorrow, but, you know, somebody might be reading a story about you 50 years from now. You're creating your legacy.
2: Yeah. Awesome. So I think we are at probably about an hour. We started a little late. Um, Jess, thanks. Yeah. And you know there are people. So Jess is at Journey Church. We have Pete. Pete, wave your hand. He's back here. Pete, the pastor here. We have chaplains at all of our universities. People they can connect with that are safe places to ask questions. And you know if I'll say this: if you go and you begin to ask somebody a question, you're like, oh my gosh, I was like super unsafe don't give up yeah go go find find another person because there are plenty of people out there that actually are safe to talk to that are not going to judge you um you know your questions are okay it's how it's how we grow um there's a little prayer at the end of of um chapter here and you know he talks about so he talks about art reconstruction um and he also talks about a wedding dress. He says, you know, in, in, um, the, in the Bible, there, I grew up with this song. It was kind of a hilarious song, thinking back, like, you know, it's based on a scripture that the, the church is like um, a bride who's um, adorned in a dress without spot or wrinkle. And this is what Jesus does. He takes, you know, these beautiful things that somehow through history, through damaging um, narratives and, and different things became spotted mm-hmm. and stained and wrinkled, and he restores them to their original condition. So, um, Jory says, Lord Jesus Christ, master artist of God's image in us, restore your masterpiece with grace and care. Bridegroom of your beloved bride, cleanse our garments. Of the stains of unchristlikeness without spot or wrinkle. Renew and restore our souls to Christlike faith. Amen. Amen. Okay, well that wraps up our conversation. Be sure to join us for our next Convergence where Kurt Willems will talk on the topic Jesus and his politics. And head on over to Instagram. Our handle is the underscore convergence underscore YYC the underscore convergence yyc until next
1: time we'll